listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be dealing with one of the passages from the third Sunday in Lent. Third Sunday in Lent is this coming March the 24th. Passages are from Psalm 85, Ezekiel 33, 1 Corinthians 10, and Luke 13. I want to say something, though, before I begin. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel 33. I'm working with four congregations on a pretty regular basis, preaching at all four of them each week as well as other congregations, and helping them out with hospital calls, etc. And if there is a question that comes up again and again in these congregations is, what are we going to do about the young people who are leaving the church? And I think we need to really discuss that in a number of ways. First of all, we need to listen to the young people as to why they're leaving the church. And I'm convinced that it's not really so much about the doctrine of the Christian church, but our morality, where, of course, in line with the scriptures against immoral living, and particularly in light of the Supreme Court that has allowed for abortion and gay marriage and this kind of thing, many young people are just really confused. Why is the church so much against that? And I dare say that when I hear other pastors talking, they're attempting to help the young people understand why we believe what we believe, and they deal with those subjects specifically. Uh, For example, they may not believe in the historical events of the Bible, like creation. Now, I'm not opposed to showing that creationism is much better a science than is evolution. But I'm just saying that that's not going to move somebody to believe in the Christian faith. And there are a number of other historical events. The the crossing of the Red Sea, did the Red Sea really divide the way it did? And then in regard to Jesus, was Jesus really born of a virgin? Did he die on a cross? Did he rise from the dead? Did he ascend into heaven? These historical events, while they are true, I'm of the opinion that to dwell on them is to miss the whole point of the Bible. Because there's another reason I really have come to understand why young people are leaving the church. And it's not that they're angry with the morality of the church. But they're really in fear. Fear? What do you mean by that? Well, they're afraid that God may have on his mind 
these immoral actions as immoral. And so a lot of times they justify themselves by saying, well, there is no God. A recent survey came out and said there are a lot of young people who are becoming atheists and agnostics, and they now number more than their parents who are atheists and agnostics. Now, from a biblical point of view, from a law gospel point of view, this is because the law has struck them. And to help themselves not have to listen to that, they just deny there is a God. Or I don't know what kind of God it is. And as we spend more and more time trying to prove the history of the Bible, I think we're missing a big point. Is the real problem the history of the Bible that they don't believe, whether it's creationism or the resurrection, or is there something else that's going on here? I believe it's something else. I believe that many of these young people who are leaving the church are in fear of the God that we profess because they can't understand. It doesn't make sense to them. And as I've said many a time on this program, it is really impossible to make sense of the Bible. It's, it's not a rational document. Every Sunday I start off with a question, and it appears that it's a contradiction in the Bible. Uh, yesterday, for example, the text I was talking about is that we're not to have our mind on earthly things but on heavenly things, and I said, that appears to contradict all parts of the Bible where we're supposed to be concerned about our earthly family and our earthly vocation and our earthly possessions, etc. So how can we resolve that? And then we went ahead from a law gospel point of view and, and resolved that. I believe that taking a look at our text for today, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7, that God has given us the way in which to reach out to those individuals who are leaving the church because they cannot agree with our historical statements, our morality statements, etc. I think when we focus on that, we're really in a losing conversation. So what do I mean by that? The text from Ezekiel begins with verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Now, isn't that interesting? It doesn't say, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you will explain the doctrine of it. No, God is talking in law and gospel terms here. The warning from God is on the basis of the law. Verse 8, if I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you, remember, the son of man that was sent to the house of Israel, and you do not speak, to warn the wicked to turn from his way, 
That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Wow. This is why those who aspire to become a pastor or a teacher in the church need to be a little careful. Because if you are a pastor in the church and then you are not speaking the word of God in its purity, you're going to be held responsible for those who fall from the faith. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, verse 9, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Now, who is not a person who has iniquity? All of us do. But we need to understand that this iniquity that God is talking about is not just sin. It's unrepentant sin. And when you don't warn somebody of their unrepentant sin, wow. Verse 10, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Wow, that is really interesting. Because I'm convinced that though young people leaving the church are not that happy about the doctrines of the church and the morality of the church, they still have a kind of high regard for Jesus. They may not consider him as Savior of the world, but he was a wonderful person. He was kind. He was a loving individual. So when they ask, how then can we live? They believe they can live without the church. It's verse 11 that's really important when we're talking about how we reach out to individuals who have a problem in the church. And what does verse 11 say? As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Now, do you notice what's happening here? After God delivers his law against unrepentant sin, he then goes ahead and speaks what I consider to be gospel. You see, in every other religion in the world, the God who is angry with his people has pleasure in the death of the wicked. But this God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Holy Trinity has so little pleasure in the death of the wicked that he sent himself, the, third, the second person of the Trinity, to die on the cross for the wicked so that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Now, you know what turn back means? It doesn't mean stop from sinning, because nobody can do that. 
Turn back is another way of talking about repentance. Turn back from your evil ways. And that occurs when we repent of our sins. And what's repentance? It's contrition, that sorrow over our sins, and faith in the true God. The point I'm trying to make here is we do far better in bringing the young people back into the church, not when we focus on historical events in the Bible, which really are quite irrational. And unless you have faith, they're not understandable. And instead focus on, like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What I try and do when I'm speaking with a young person who has left the church, I just assume that there is something he's fearing. That's why he's left the church. And once I find out what that fear is, a lot of times it is a fear that he doesn't measure up to what he hears the church demanding. I've often said, would we ever let somebody come into the church who believed in evolution rather than creation? And the answer to that is, we sure would. I'm not saying they can become a member of the church or take the Lord's Supper, but we would open the church to everyone in order to hear the word of God. A lot of people live an immoral life because they're lonely and they find pleasure in that immoral life. So they have a fear of being isolated. The God that we preach does not want you to be isolated. He never leaves his children. He's always taking care of them. He has no pleasure in their death. And remember, there's a passage in the New Testament that God desires all men to be saved. And I was asked this question yesterday. You desire all men to be saved? Well, if God desires that, how come all people aren't saved? And I said, well, there's a distinction between what God desires and his will in contrast to his promises. We can break God's desire and his will all the time. It's called sin. And I answered the question by saying, was it it God's desire that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that they would never sin and would be there forever? Well, of course it was. Did they break that will and desire of God? Yes, they did. Where can we have assurance that God's will and desire will not be able to be broken by us? That's when it becomes a promise. If you read Psalm 22, it's talking about the coming of the Messiah. 
And it says he will be pierced in hands and feet. I'm sure when Jesus read that, recognizing that he was the Messiah, that it was very easy to jump to the conclusion that therefore he would be crucified because that was a form of execution where you were pierced in hands and feet. That love doesn't mean that God loved you so much. No. It rather is a love that is shown in what he did. In the uh, earlier Bible study today, they were talking about how certain children of Cain had names, and they were talking about the possibility that's not the names they were born with, but as they became older and adults and they acted certain ways, they got those names. And the example they gave were the Indian tribes. A child may be born and have one name. As he grows older, he may be able to run really fast. And so people start calling him running horse because he was a fast runner. That the name of a person could come about because of their actions and their deeds. The name that believers have is Christian because Jesus is our brother. And therefore, whatever fear we have, God will take care of it. In fact, if you go down a little bit, in verse 15, it says that if the wicked one turns from his sins and does what is just and right, and what is that? That is to believe the promises of God, how much he loves you. Then none of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him he shall surely live. But see, you know what the wicked say? And that's what some young people are saying when they leave the church. The way of the Lord is not just. When it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous, and a lot of these youth have been baptized, when they turn from his righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ, and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. So those of you who are saying, verse 20, that the way of the Lord is not just, O Israel, no, it is your way that is not just. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make here? Is that the way that we witness is not by trying to give rational explanations for the history of the Bible, the historical events, like the creation, the Red Sea crossing. I'm not opposed to talking about why those things are true. I'm just saying that even if you convince somebody they're true, that doesn't save them. 
Because faith in Christianity is not even believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. Faith in Christianity is he died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead for your justification. It's totally a different understanding of what we're talking about. And when we have that understanding about how good and gracious God is, then things begin to fall into place. I had an individual, and he was kind of an officer at a well-known company here in St. Louis, and he was dating one of my members and wanted to marry her. But he had a lot of questions about the history of the Bible and what the Bible has to say. And we started meeting. And I could just about answer every one of his questions in in a way that satisfied me. But then he would jump to another subject. And I finally began to realize that even though we might win all the arguments as to the actual historical events that occurred in the Bible, that doesn't bring faith. So I asked him to come to adult instruction, and I remember the first three times, it was about an 18-week class, first three times he attended, it just seemed like he was kind of bored, and there were other people there, of course, and he didn't seem to be very interested. But it was after the third week that he related to me that as he was coming downstairs to fix his breakfast, it suddenly hit him that Jesus Christ not only was his Savior, but his loving God. And from that moment on, things changed. Now, what made the change? What made the change wasn't arguments helping him to understand how the Bible was historical. It was a long gospel teaching that occurs in adult instruction. And the Holy Spirit used that and converted him. The point I'm making is someone cannot leave the church without really objecting to God as we preach him. And maybe it's our preaching of God. Like if we keep emphasizing, yeah, God doesn't like uh, women who do abortions and this kind of thing, you're really sending a wrong message there. He doesn't like the action, but he still loves the person. And that doesn't come across. Just listen to many sermons, not on KFUO, And you'll see that, that it seems like the goal of the pastors is to get people to become more righteous in their works, as though, therefore, God will love them more and, therefore, like them more and then maybe save them more. No. We're all poor, miserable sinners. We all have problems in our life. To preach Christ as the problem solver is a way from a law gospel point of view that you reach out to individuals who have problems. It's just that it's interesting 
how you will get them to admit their problems. That takes some work. But once you do that, it's a tremendous gift that they understand. That individual who was having all kinds of arguments about the history of the Bible, once he came to faith understanding Jesus as a loving God, a forgiving God, one who will not remember his sins, all of a sudden those issues didn't become very important anymore. He began to believe them. He began to believe the unbelievable because the unbelievable had happened to him. That he, who he knew was a sinner, was forgiven all of his sins. So the point I'm trying to make here is when you're reaching out to these young people, stay on a long gospel level in talking to them rather than trying to prove the history of the Bible. Because I don't think a proof of the history of the Bible is going to move anybody closer to true faith in Jesus Christ. But who Jesus was, who he is, what he has done, and what he is doing will lead people to salvation. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, we've got a problem when we use the word grace. Is it a power source or is it something else? The title of the hymn we're going to be looking at is May God Bestow on Us His Grace. It's tomorrow's Rumination Tuesday Long Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.